So he was very aggressive with it, you know, and I just thought that that's how you're supposed to be, right? So I was a little kid awestruck by your father, right? So when I got on in, in Bridgeport, I got on a 99, and the place was still going pretty well. And so I was really like, wow, this is great. I hit the jackpot. You know? Right. And so um, actually when I got in the firehouse, Thode was the rescue officer on that shift, and then this guy, Mike Candela, um, was the truck driver on Ladder 5. And I'm like, man, this guy's wired tight. Like, he's got it. Like, you know, the smallest guy on the job, but a ton of respect. And this was in 99, so we're talking 20 years ago. And so, uh, oh my God, it's 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think about that. You know? that yeah. And so I'm like, man, if I could ever work for that guy, I right. would love it. You know, just riding backwards with sure. him going to job. So, um, things happened in the city. The, I, the engine that I got on, they closed it. So for a short period of time, I got on that truck and I was like, man, this is great. I love it. This is awesome. I got an opportunity to go to the rescue. So of course I took it. But when I got promoted, I got kind of bounced around. And then, um, a buddy of mine who was kind of tired of running, he was on that company ladder five on B shift. And he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move. I'm like, are you, what? Like, you, you, what are you nobody, nuts? Nobody does that. Yeah, nobody, you know? nobody, nobody leaves So, uh, I, I, I put my name in. I'm like, listen, I understand there's going to be an opening on ladder five B. If, you know, certainly I understand it's not a biddable position because it's just an opening. But if, if the opportunities are, I would like to take that spot. So like, oh my God, when the paper came out, I was like, <laughs> you know, the hairs are standing up. And like, I hit the lottery because I, I forget what, I think I put the year in, I don't even remember what year it was now, but that guy is still driving the truck. And he was, the, he was the deal 15 years ago. Right. So as a, I wasn't a brand new officer, but, um, this was my first officer opportunity in, on a limelight in a good company, you know? And I was like, man, I just, That's I so hit cool. the lottery. I love yeah. that. And so, but basically dealing with him just the way he would go about things we had two young guys in the back and they they just you can't you can't watch that guy and do what that guy does until you take all those small steps and so really that's where going through that process with those guys where that page came from so really breaking it down into piece by piece because you just can't Wait, this is fantastic like we know. already started i mean this is so good yeah, thank you this so, is yeah. awesome we're gonna i want i want to capture all okay. that we did already yeah, yeah. we'll grab that all that but all right. Um, I real quick before we before we start. I mean, we already did, and that's I just love the comfort level that we already have. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. Um, <clears throat> a couple things. One, you're okay talking about um, your position, Bridgeport. Yeah. Okay, and so on. So yeah. some people are protective; they don't like to say who they are. My chief from. was here, so exactly. I, you know, yeah. I, I should I should yeah. be okay. Okay. And cool. he called me before anyway. So, oh, he did. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. He. Oh, I love him. He's yeah. he's a good guy. He speaks very highly of you. Um, and you guys, I guess, have had a long relationship together. I mean, yeah, was, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's it's really it's really <laughs> odd because he's been a mentor, right? Was, you know, so it's kind of odd to say that he's my friend, you know, because it's he's always been at least two steps ahead, and and he's he's done it all. I mean, he's he's pretty humble. But yeah. uh, just a real quick story about him: when I first got on, I was on this engine, engine five, and uh, it was just a really it was a neighborhood engine company, but it was a really rough neighborhood, and I was just really happy to be there. But I'm across the floor from that guy, Thode. Oh, my God, you know. So my boss had just been promoted, and he was a fireman with Thode on that same company back when it was really busy. So at night, they would just start telling stories. And so one night, they're telling all these stories about, oh, remember that house on Williston Street? Remember this house on Williston Street? Oh, then there's this one over there. No, no, that was the one across the street. Oh, so, so I'm, I'm sitting on a count. One, two, four, five, six. You've been to nine fires on Williston Street on B-Shift? And like... 
Yeah, I guess so. He says, you've been to more fires on Williamson Street than I've been to in my whole life. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I was just like, oh, my God. But, yeah, they were that busy. That's funny. Yeah, really some, crazy. some of his storytelling um, back when he was riding the back step. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Riding backwards. His storytelling was uh, was pretty good. Pretty yeah. candid, right? I mean, yeah. I'm just thinking back to it, but we had a lot we're of fun. We're hooking up uh, big. Yeah, yeah, we're hooking up big. Yeah. yeah. But that was the thing. And he, and he said it in his, what he said to you guys. If you screwed it up tonight... More than likely, you could get it right tomorrow night. Yep. And that's what we don't have today. You're right. Almost. There's very few places, your Camden, your Detroit, your New York City, some parts of New York City, but by and large, you, unfortunately, guys don't, or girls too, don't get that opportunity. And that that's why the training is so important, right? And, yeah. And so one thing that I found too with training is um, Connecticut is so focused on just checking the box, JPR. You know, did you have your helmet strap on? Yes. Uh, did you get off of the rig with three points of contact? Yes. Did the fire go out? Yes. But you passed. Well, you did it, like, way wrong. Right. But you passed. Yep. Right. And so we've done a great job of teaching people what we want them to do and how they're supposed to do it. We never tell them the why or the when. Right. And that's the big disconnect. Right. And, and so you can be the best door forcer, hose stretcher, ladder thrower, but these guys coming up don't really get... And that's the whole disconnect with the millennials ask too many questions. Well, they're asking questions because they don't they don't see it enough yep. to know when they're supposed to do this stuff. So they just want you to tell them when. Yeah. Well, right. I also think it's uh, like one of the scariest parts is that you have a, a younger generation asking the why and trying to understand. And then you get like when we kind of talked about it a little bit before when we were talking about it, our starts of our career, but like <clears throat> you have that person who says, don't worry about it or they dismiss them. Right. So now they're going to go to one of the most dangerous places in the fire service and that's yeah. the internet. And oh. they can either find the correct right. answer yeah. or they can find something that's completely been bastardized and is right. the wrong answer. And I think that's yeah. this, like I said, it, that really becomes the scariest part of right. what's out there. Yeah. Or well, two, it could be a very good thing that they're, they've learned, but, where they are, it's the total wrong application. Yeah. Right? Like, people see Kentland stuff, and they want to go and run around and, and do all these crazy things. Well, your engine's not set up like Kentland. The other five people on your rig aren't Kentland. So you're going to take off and run, and they're going to be like, whoa, kids, slow down. We have to set the wheel chock. You know? And it's just a total... I think I think a big part of it, too, and you hit on it prior, was the methodology, right? They're looking for the, they're looking for the how and the why, right? More the why, right? Like, okay... You've taught me X, Y, and Z, steps one, two, three, four, and five, right. and I'm good at it, right? Yeah. Why? You hit on it before when you got in, and that guy Thode was telling stories about, what was it, Willett Street? Williston. Williston Street. Yeah. That's where some of that why really comes into play with right. the senior man, with the storytelling, right? So that front bumper, kitchen table type talk, not only is it the banter back and forth for the camaraderie, but there's so much learning going on. Right. In that setting. Yeah. It's killer. Yeah. You know, and that was the thing on, on one of my posts. You know, I said, look, if you're teaching, it's okay to have silence. It's okay to let the student reflect. Right. right? So you'll teach them something, and then, you you know, either because you think you're so smart or you're, you're trying to get so much into that short period of time <clears throat> that you don't give them time to reflect or to, or to do that self-analysis. Like, we just did that thing, but, man, I don't even know what we did. Right. Right. And then so you got to give them a couple seconds or even a minute to figure it out or let them talk on their own. And it's OK if they're not paying attention to you. It doesn't mean they're being insubordinate. That's right. Right. Maybe they're like, like, how did that happen? Or did you bring this thing? Because I didn't bring this thing. Right. And I, I think part of part of that discussion, too, is them having the courage to talk to one another be, because of the fact that they 
a lot of times people are intimidated or nervous about saying they don't understand or don't get it. And right. so instead of asking questions, they'll, they'll swallow that question and then hopefully figure it out on their own later. Now we're starting to see more questions coming. They put, they, they're not as guarded, right? Most, a lot of kids in the firehouse these days aren't as guarded as say I was 25 years ago right. when I came in. You know, there was yeah. that stigma of shit, if I'm asking why, maybe I should know. So I'm not gonna ask why, because I don't wanna be the guy who doesn't know. Right, yeah, and that's the hard part, um, giving them the confidence to want to feel comfortable enough to say, hey, can we either do that again or can you explain me why? Yeah. Um, because the hierarchy and the pecking order and you don't want to disappoint anybody and you want to be a valued member of the team. And so the answer isn't to stay quiet because you're going to screw it up and then you're going to be, uh, you know, that's when you're going to get hammered, right? I'd much rather see a kid say, hey, I really don't know why we're doing that or can you explain to me again why we did that? And it's really on the folks that have been around to be okay with that. Right. And the, the weird thing is, like, I just think some of the, the older members of the fire service, um, they don't know how to explain what they know. It doesn't mean that they don't know what they don't know, right? You know, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's an odd thing trying to get the older generation people, the more experienced people, to realize that what they know and what they have done actually has value, right? Without so a doubt. We used to have a guy, and he just retired a little while ago, very knowledgeable, but very very hesitant to put himself out there to teach. But, you know, so you say, hey, can you come on over and show these guys? Ah, you know, they know how to do that. But then, you know, you'd realize that after everybody was done washing dishes and they were still up in the kitchen, he actually brought the kid downstairs. That's he was doing it on a one-on-one awesome. -on -one because that was the only time he felt comfortable. Yeah. So, striking the balance. Four, three, two, one. It's Rob National Fire Radio. Our studio is gracious enough to be in the business that is First in Emergency Products. Uh, if you haven't heard of them, you got to check them out on Facebook and Instagram. First in Emergency Products is a manufacturer of purpose-built emergency vehicles and components such as cabinets, consoles, and electronic uh, compartments. One of the cool things about First in Emergency Products, and especially with them being here in the studio, is we get to see them constantly going through uh, and building different vehicles. It's not just a chief's car. It's not, it's not just a police car. It's not just a fly car for an EMS system. If you could see it right now, there's a giant bus that's behind me. And it's really, it's like, it's going to be converted into a, uh, into a mass casualty unit. And that's really what's kind of neat about first and emergency products. They can do it all. All right. Um, I've seen so much cool stuff here. There's some stuff that they've done from the government. I'm not allowed to talk about. I've had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And in case they're listening, I am not talking about it, but it's just really cool. So uh, just come on in, check them out. First in emergency products. One of the cool things that they've really done, especially, and I, I want to hit on it, is a new product this year. It's a gear safe cabinet uh, and containment system. Um, it's all about cancer prevention. And in today's fire service, a lot of us, especially in the volunteer world, we're having our families in our, uh, in our chief's cars and everything else. This containment system is great. After the fire, we can get our gear into this system and we're not exposing our family any of those carcinogens or anything like that leaking out into the car and it's protecting us. So check them out. First in emergency products, awesome people doing awesome things. 
Check them out. This is Rob, National Fire Radio. Hey, everybody. It's Rob, National Fire Radio. One of the biggest supporters of National Fire Radio from the beginning has been Taylor over at Taylor's Tins. If you don't know who they are, check them out. Instagram, Facebook, pretty much anywhere there is social media, you're going to find Taylor's Tins. What is Taylor's Tins? Well, they're making custom helmet shields and other products for the fire service. But one of the things that's pretty cool about it and unique is the uh, shields here are metal. Um, so that means they're not going to burn up as far as like warping and just becoming disfigured in a fire, which hopefully all of us are going interior. So uh, that doesn't have to be a concern. So Taylor also does keychains customizable to your department. Locker tags. We have our solid sisters and solid brothers. That way we don't get in trouble anymore for just saying solid brothers doing solid brother things because we know there's a bunch of solid sisters out there as well. And just the graphic work. I mean, here's our on tap one that he was able to do for us. I mean, these are great even not only for yourself, for your own helmet, but you can give them out as a, as awards and, and custom going away gifts. So it's a home run. Taylor's tins, check them out. Oh, and don't forget the calling cards. All right, Taylor did something pretty cool with some of the metal here. And he has a couple calling cards. I like them. I like this one. You can go back and service. It's pretty cool. So that's the card that we should all try to play out on some, some folks. Be first too. Anyway, we'll catch you guys later. This is Rob, National Fire Radio, Taylor's Tins. Welcome. It's Jeremy in the studio with, of course, Rob. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. You, uh, you've <laughs> missed the last one or two, so we've, uh, it's nice to have you back with us. Yes. Yes. Good to be back. But more importantly than us, this man right here, uh, Captain Nick Esposito, right. Bridgeport, Connecticut Fire Department. Um, we've had some great connections with Bridgeport since we started National Fire Radio, and it's an absolute <laughs> honor to have you here tonight with us. I appreciate being here. Thank you for the invite. Of Absolutely course. Of course, um, brother. I mean, and the honor's mine. Thank oh, you. well, thank you. But I love how you're mildly like, we have some good connections. The chief of department. Yeah. Which, did uh, you, you heard that backstory, right? How I blew him off yes. originally when I, yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Yeah. So we don't yeah. need to rehash that. It's not one of my proudest moments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Perfect. Yeah. But anyway, Nick, thank you for no, being here tonight in the studio with thank us. You. Um, you know, Bridgeport's not right around the corner. So I appreciate you making the trip and uh, trusting us with your yeah. story tonight. We've been going already. I mean, people are watching live and people will be listening as, as this comes out down the road. But, um, you know, we've just sat at the table for 20 minutes and just had some fantastic yeah. back and forth. Yeah. So, so we're done. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, we're done. Thanks for tuning yeah. in. Yeah. And uh, now <clears throat> it was a great show. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. But anyway, I want to start, you know, we we typically um, when we do this, we like to get to know our guests. And, you know, we we know you from the backside, but we'd like to just explain where you are and and uh, where you came from and so on. So just a little background about you. Yeah. So um, second generation, I grew up in a little town called Verplank, New York, um, just about 30 miles north of New York City. Uh, my father was a, a member there in the fire department and, uh, you know, I was a little firehouse brat like most kids. Uh, a lot of my first friends I knew from the fire department and not from school. Um, and it was just a fun place to be, uh, like the fire trucks and things like that. Uh, not a busy place. Um, I think on the average, when I finally was old enough to be a member, we were going on about 200 runs a year. Right. We had an ambulance, so about 180 of them were medical calls. So we were doing about 20 fire calls a year. Um, but we had a 1973 snorkel. Um, and I love that thing. <laughs> yeah, and, I bet. Um, you know, it was my, it was the world to me. You know, that's what I thought the fire service was. So um, there was a lot of uh, value I got out of that place because it didn't, you didn't have to be the busiest. You didn't have to be the saltiest, but it was about family. Um, and it was just about learning and growing and making some mistakes and people showing you the way. And it was all right. And, and it worked out well. So I had a really good solid foundation from that. My father was a good example. And uh, the, the town 
uh, overall was a good community environment. So that helped out too. And you hit on it too before, which I thought was awesome. Like second generation, I love it. I am as well. And, you know, I, I know how it goes from walking in the firehouse as a kid and then coming up through the, the rank and file, if you will. But you, you told us a quick story before, and I'd love to capture it real quick. You were talking about, you know, we're going to get into truck tactics and, and your training page and so on. But you're a big truck guy. Right. You explained how your father uh, was a snorkel guru, if you will. Right. So actually what happened was uh, that, vehicle came from, that vehicle came from St. Louis, Missouri. That's where they were making them. And so the rep came down, and, and uh, we have actually the, the picture still in our, our house um, with my mother. Um, you know, they came down, and I think eight of the guys uh, were given the factory uh, class, you know, how to do it. And he was already really pretty good with um, articulating booms, yeah. aerial apparatus, because he worked for the power company. Yeah. And so uh, I think his familiarity with that vehicle already allowed him to kind of have a, a better sense of how to use it. Not that the other guys didn't, you know, they all had fun doing it and, and getting it to be where it needed to be. Uh, but he was usually pretty aggressive with it. And so just for me as a kid, and then, you know, um, kind of getting at the same time involved, it was just fun to watch. And basically from watching him and, and watching the department use that vehicle, it is somewhat limited um, because you have to get really close. They would always joke that if you weren't sinking it in the septic tank, then you weren't getting the job done because <laughs> yeah. that was the only way to get to the roof. Yep. But um, the Verplank was a very small place. We didn't go to a lot of fires there, but our, one of our neighbors is the city of Peekskill, much busier, particularly back at that time in the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s. So we would go up there a lot, mutual aid, either to stand by or to go um, to the scene. And so we would usually back that thing right in and knock trees over with it and everything and set it up and, and do good work. And I just thought that was normal. That's right. That's what I love. And so from that, mm -hmm. that's really kind of where my mindset has always been. Like I'm, I'm using the truck the way you're supposed to use the truck based on how it was designed and what the limitations of the, the design is. So just because it doesn't look right to park it a certain way, doesn't mean that it's wrong. Yeah. You know? And so that's, that's, pretty much where a lot of my background came from with that. I love that though, right? From day one, you were in a, in a firehouse that, you know, wasn't running all the time, but they had aggressiveness in their blood and, and coming out of there. I love how you say that like, well, this is all I knew. Right. Absolutely. And it, what that instills into me in this conversation is how important it is and, and how taking that rookie firefighter, that probationary firefighter and instilling those right values from day one. Right. Sets them on the right course during their career. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Got to set the tone. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No, it was good. That's cool. Definitely. So for Plank, and then, uh, and then we moved up, right? So grew up, and uh, you, the love for the fire service had to keep growing. Yeah, you know, I went, uh, I went to college. I got a degree in safety. Um, I gave it a try. I worked on a couple of chemical plants. One of them was in Carlstadt, New Jersey. I had a lot of fun there uh, being a safety manager type person in a chemical plant's the loneliest place on the earth because management hates you because all you do is slow them down and then union doesn't like you because all you do is get them in trouble. So you eat lunch alone by yourself a lot, which was fine, but um, it taught me that as, as much as that work could be rewarding, it wasn't for me. So I, I really hit it hard taking fire tests. Where was that in Carlstadt? Uh, Gaines Chemicals. Um, it's closed now, I yeah. guess. Um, was I it like off 17? Broad Street. Broad Street, okay. The the street. Yeah. okay. I'm, we have a lot of people from that area that... Listen, so the, I'm sure the interesting the thing there was um, a lot of the members of the plant work or volunteered in different departments, Garfield, right. um, Wallington. Wallington's right, right there, yeah. sure. So there was a, a, f 
a bunch of the guys were related. And so they would tell me all the Wallington stories and what, you know, the Donnie Brook from the previous night meeting and yep. things like that. And then uh, I remember. Ace, if you're listening, brother, I need to know about Gaines Chemical. So. Yeah. And then I remember <laughs> one morning uh, coming into work and they were talking, oh, we had a crew P call. And I'm like, what is a crew P call? Like, I, I, I don't even know what that is. Right. Like, crew P call. I'm like, all right, all right. His name was Vic Baginski. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. But anyway, so um, it was the mutual aid plan. Carl said Rutherford, East Rutherford, Wallington, and I think Passaic. Yep. They all, somebody had a fire and they all went. Right. And so it worked out very well. And then what I thought was neat about that was I grew up in, in Westchester with a countywide system where you had mutual aid packs, but by and large, you sent whoever the county sent you. Right. But here you knew, like, it was going to be those five. Correct. It was game on. So if they had a fire, you knew you were going there. For us, a lot of times, it, there was too many moving parts to figure out if you were going for sure. But anyway, that was really neat So that, to get their, their culture there. But um, I took tests. Um, I took New York City's tests. I took Bridgeport's tests, a bunch of other tests. And then I, I was lucky enough to get hired in Bridgeport. So. Nice. Did you have any connection in Bridgeport? Or you were aggressive in test taking? No, and, said, and I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, before the smart box, before the phone, I actually had to use the Ram McNally to find it. And then I filled out the application in the parking lot and then I went back in and it was the last day that the applications awesome. were being accepted and I was late. So I was rushing the application because I skipped out of Gaines Chemicals early and there was a lot of traffic on 95. So I'm like, I'm never getting this job because I can't even read it. And, uh, <laughs> and That's awesome. So here we are. I mean, I don't know. It's the strangest thing. Heather's looking at us yeah. right now going, what's a Rand McNally? Oh, right. Exactly. You have no yeah, idea, right? Uh, you know what a Hagstrom is? Hagstrom. Uh, no. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Jamapco was the other one. That was what I used when I worked yeah. EMS. Sammy, did you know? Wow. wow. So this, this right. is, uh, you guys All are right. what? You're mid-20s, right. late, young 20s, right? I so knew, they're, yeah. they're spiral-bound map books. Map books, yeah. And you would go to the glossary, and you'd, you'd look up the town, and then the street, yeah, I know and then it would be like B6, and then... Uh, yeah. 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 That's yeah. how I grew up. Well, actually, so before uh, the gains... I worked for a private ambulance company and they worked in um, the Bronx and in Manhattan, mostly Harlem and, and uh, Spanish Harlem. And so I'm a kid right out of the burbs, like yeah. totally babe in the woods. I, so I, I went and, and I found <laughs> the small condensed uh, Rand McNally. And it, Pocket actually, guide. it was, and it was great because, and so what I would do is every time I'd find a firehouse, I would highlight it. And then I would put a little sticky on there. So this was uh, 6232 and all this other stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's fantastic. And I, and I wouldn't throw I still have that one. It's in the attic. I will not throw that map away. Because it's so sentimental. Yeah, a lot of so yeah, a lot yeah. Of tied yeah. up with that yeah. one. Yes. That's awesome. So that's how I got on it. What, what a fantastic story, though. But I think everybody's like that to yep. one degree or another. I don't think that it just happens like you're just like, I'm going to go down and get hired. And next thing you know, oh, start Tuesday. I yeah. don't think it happens that way. I think everybody's an accidental whatever, you know, to one degree or another. I love that. So, yeah. That's cool. So you found yourself to Bridgeport. Yeah. You called your number. They said, they did. hey, Mr. Esposito, let's go. Yeah. So what year, you? that was in what, 99? May, May of 99. Okay. So I'm in 20 right now. Okay. In my 20th year. And uh, now today, Bridgeport, I mean, you know, we, we got a, a really nice tour of it, but maybe you could just give us a little background on the, the size and scope of Bridgeport compared to, you know, maybe today versus when you got hired. Yeah, um, it's 18 square miles, uh, roughly. The population's around 150, 150,000. Um, when I got on, there was 10 engines, four ladders, and a rescue, two battalions. They've since closed an engine, um, so we're nine engines, four ladders, and the rescue, two battalion chiefs. We've gained a safety officer. Um, it's, a, it's a great city. It is. It's a proud town. Um, 
it was um, an old mill town in New England, your yeah. typical. They were uh, military, so it was helicopters and bombs and bullets and bazookas, right? Well, there's not a big market for that so much um, based upon environmental regulations sure. and things like that. Connecticut's economy's kind of shifted from manufacturing, so a lot of it left, but the city's still there. So, um, you know, it's a hard scrabble town. They're proud of who they are and where they've come from. And, um, you know, so the fire department kind of reflects that, you know, we're not the prettiest or the smartest or whatever, but we're very proud of the job that we do and we appreciate the community and we, we do the best for them. So, um, I enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I can I can just say by what we know and what we've seen and, and through social media, you guys are pretty active on Facebook with different companies and so right. on, right? Putting yeah. out their content. Yeah. I will say that you you always see a tremendous amount of community involvement. I think it stems from your top down. Um, your management team, I think, is very much entrenched into the city yeah. just from what we know. Yeah. And I think that translates through um, the hiring process and then the community outreach. I mean, it's right. it's hugely important to engage your community Especially if it's uh, if it's not the shiniest and prettiest and smartest, like you said, right? I mean, this right. is That's, this is a if you visit Bridgeport and you're in their firehouses, it takes you all about five minutes to understand that this is where people come to get problems fixed, without a doubt. And they have that trust, and I think that when we were at uh, at, at tens, we could see that with the kids coming into the fire station for help with their bicycle tire or whatever, like legit. I'm like, oh look, at, there's we got some neighborhood kids coming in, and yep. that was yep. you know very reminiscent of being on main street in Poughkeepsie in my early days of having kids come into back door to right. fill up a, a bike tire. Yeah. I don't work the, the, the house that I work in is fire headquarters and it's the downtown fire station. It's not really a community fire station. Um, there's not much really around it. There's some lots and a, you know, they took down the drawbridge so right. you can't even get across there anymore. But, um, the other seven firehouses are, are community firehouses and they all have their own flair and they all do absolutely support, you know, the community yeah. around them. The kids mm -hmm. are always coming in even if it's just to get a, a drink of water from the water fountain, uh, gets air in the tire all the time for their bikes and things like that. So, um, yeah, it is nice. Um, and, you know, it's important because in, in Bridgeport, they pay a lot in taxes and they deserve, you know, to be served the best that we can do it for them, you know. And, um, you know, a lot of times we are, just like every other fire department in every other town, we are the last line. Sure. You know, and, and folks a lot of times, <clears throat> you know, they're calling for leaky pipes and, you know, short circuits and stuff like that, things that some other people probably wouldn't call for. But, you know, to them, it's their emergency and, and we're there to help. So, yeah, that that's was rewarding. That yeah. was evident. I mean, absolutely yeah. evident when we were there. And um, I think it speaks volumes too, because, you know, yourself, Chief Thode, I mean, you guys are rock stars in this industry and you guys are out putting out good product and running a, a really squared away department. And um, let's talk about maybe your love for the, the truck work. I mean, you're in the rescue now. Right. I know, um, you know, you're the captain of the rescue company um, and so on, which is a prestigious position in any department. Um, but um, I know you have a infinite love for truck work and it probably stems from your snorkel days and right. Verplank, but uh, maybe just a little background, brother. So, um, we alluded to this before. When I first got on um, fire headquarters, uh, I ended up down there on an engine. And um, I just remember the truck driver on ladder five uh, was this short of stature, but very um, influential um, man that had just a presence. So 20 yeah. years ago, he's driving this truck. And back then he had his, his game wired tight. You know, um, you could tell that people respected him. You could tell that he did good work. You can tell that that was his goal. And, um, you know, the nice thing about it was he was approachable. His name's Mike Candela. 
um, really nice guy. And um, you wouldn't think that he's this super aggressive um, tip of the spear ladder guy, but he really is. I think he's the best truck driver in our city. We have some really good truck drivers. It doesn't take anything away from the other ones. Sure. Um, so early on in my career, I was like, man, if I ever could, I really want to work with that guy. You know, that would be a lot of fun. So as time went on, they did close the engine that I was on for a short period of time. I did get over there, which was a blast. Um, and we, we caught some stuff and it was just a whole lot of fun. And, and it was like, you know, getting a dream uh, fulfilled. Right. Um, I did end up getting moved over to the rescue for a while, which was just as good too. Uh, but I always really admired the work that he did. The neat thing about being on the other companies is that you knew if, if Mike and that crew was over there, you could trust them. Yeah. So, you know, if you're making that push on the floor above and you're like, I think I could make that next room. And next thing you hear, you know, the boots on the, on the roof and the saw starting up. It gave you the confidence good feeling, yeah. to make that push or, or to stick around a little bit longer, right? So uh, so that was always neat to see. I eventually got promoted. I kind of got bounced around a little bit on some engine companies. And finally, the opportunity came where the officer from Ladder 5 on the B-Shift was moving. And I had asked if I could go there. Uh, it wasn't a bid. So I was fortunate that they did put me there, and it was great. So um, the opportunity to, to sit next to this guy right? I'm, the, I'm the, the, the officer, I'm the lieutenant on the truck was great. But the reality was it was his company. Yeah. And I was just the guy tooting the horn and talking on the radio, Yep, you know? And so it was really great to, to be a, a younger officer and knowing that my driver had the confidence to, to do what was right, knew what not to do, knew how to do things and get around. And he knew the ins and outs. The chief officers already trusted him. So by default, I had a fair amount of trust. So going to fires was a lot of fun with him. It was kind of like set it and forget it. Um, and then the neat thing was always at the end of the call, you know, the, the chief would call you over, hey, good job, over, good job. And I would always say, whoa, <laughs> it was Mike and the guys. Yeah, know, because, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I just showed up, he drove it and he set it and those guys got the roof and it, I'll let them know. And it was really a, a good thing. It's got to be quite yeah. an experience for you though to, you know, come into an, to a department and be, have a senior guy that just leaves this impression on you, right? I mean, you look at him and you almost look up to him thinking like, you know, if, if I want to carry myself this way, I want a reputation like that. And then to be able to fast forward in, a, in your career to be able to sit next to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just a great citizen of the fire service, right? Yep, and I love so that. In order to, That's cool. to, to have the opportunity to be around that, you know, you just your stock goes up just because obviously he's doing good work. But at the same time, he gives you the confidence take the chances yeah. to, to say or do something that probably you would not do had you not had the, um, the feeling that everything was still going to be okay. Yeah. You know, um, so that it worked out well. And by and large, he would spot the truck and I wouldn't have to help him. And I remember we went to one fire one day, uh, we got special called third do and, um, he put it where he wanted it. And I'm like, no, nah, I, I think you got to pull up a few more feet. He's like, no, no, I got it. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to get out. You're going to pull it up. And he's like, no. But I got out and I pulled him up. I was like, you're good, you're good. And sure enough, I screwed it all up. <laughs> you know? So he gets out and he had a couple choice words. Yeah, and of he course. Put it in reverse and the guys backed it up and put it where he needed it, which was where he put it the first time. And we did great work and nobody else knew that happened. Right. Because Mike recovered so well, you know. Uh, but that was an important lesson for me uh, as an officer, really on two levels. One, that I have to trust my people. And I, there's absolutely no reason why I shouldn't trust him. Right. But the other thing, too, was that it's not just toot the horn, pull it up, park it in the middle of the road, and hit the brake. There's a lot that goes on to getting that good spot. Absolutely. And so 
shortly after that, um, we had some of the firemen in the back move to different companies, and we got two younger guys, um, really good guys, not a lot of experience outside of Bridgeport, so they were fresh but very aggressive. Um, one was uh, Alex Gomez and this other kid, Sean Canfield, and I couldn't think of a better mentor example to have than Mike Candela. So we would go out and just train and talk about stuff. And, you know, Mike would really reinforce the fact that, you know, you really have to pay attention to what you're doing. You have to slow down. You have to think about it. You have to have a plan. You have to listen to the radio. You have to know the neighborhood. You have to know the streets. So you're not just thinking about the streets, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, his process really got me to think about, wow, like this is how you train somebody. It's not just, okay, can you, you know, set the brakes and put the part, you know, the, the yeah. chocks out. Can yeah. you get the aerial up? Do you know where the overrides are? There's so much more to, to the fire service. There's so much more to being on an engine. There's so much more to driving a truck than being on a truck than just, you know, knowing what to do. It's the when and the why. Sure. You know? And that's, so really Mike has been the inspiration for me on a lot of different levels, but, but he's been a great example of how, to kind of get training going and, and really get people to... And he must set an incredible set. tone, right? I mean, the, the impressionable young guys that are being transferred into that company and then being able to have a boss like yourself and, and the, their boss is still admiring and looking up to that senior man who's got the wheel. I mean, what a dynamic. Yeah. That's but cool. Just as an aside, the fun thing yeah. about Mike is that uh, he's almost like Mr. Magoo. <laughs> Right, he's always messing things up. Things <laughs> find it. his way. So right. as wired tight as he is when right. the bell hits, yep. Like one Saturday, he took the whole his whole truck apart because he needed to change a belt, and he took it all apart and measured the belt and everything, and then put the whole thing back together and forgot to put the belt on. Oh, you know, God. so I love him. He's that kind of guy. So you know, That's it's awesome. it's yeah. So it's just all of that makes it fun and it's almost and, fitting, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just a blast. So yeah. I love the guy to death. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, he's great. So, yeah, so good stuff. Is he still on the line? Oh, yeah. Oh, he yeah. Is. He's still driving that ladder truck, and, and it's a blast. And what is, so? and that's truck five? Yep, and ladder what five. Is, yep. What is truck, it's a tower ladder? Yeah, it's a 95-foot mid-mount tower. It's a Pierce. Okay. Um, we have uh, two of those, and then we have that Pierce Ascendant yeah, rear mount. single axle. Single axle, and then we have a mid-mount stick. That's right. Um, okay. As well, so... That was something that I thought was really unique in Bridgeport was the plethora of ladder trucks that were available in the city. You had mid-mount towers, you had mid-mount straight sticks, right. and you had rear-mount straight sticks. And I, I, I don't think I ever got my answer as to how it kind of worked out that way because you know, the only other person I've seen or manufacturer is Suffin, I think, as I've seen a mid-mount stick come out of. Right. So, like, you know, how does that... I don't want to say how does it work, but like how does the mid-mount straight sticks alone, like that's kind of... Well, the odd thing about it is it really looks like they just forgot to put the bucket on. Yeah. Because the bed section is just as heavy as as the tower ladder. Um, You know, it's just a different piece. Sometimes it just doesn't work um, where the rear mount sticks are really versatile. Yeah. Um, But if you can, as long as you, you know... People get mad with mid mounts because the cab gets in the way, mm-hmm. and they look at it as you know, um, you know, a problem, a stumbling block. But if you drive it like Mike does, and you never ever consider the cab an obstacle, an obstacle, right? Then it's it's not, you know. And then you just set it up, and and you you work to the vehicle's strengths. You don't focus on its weaknesses. Um, so it's a good I, way to put that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I do think down the road that that mid mount stick will be replaced with a rear mount. I don't know, Chief, though, would be better to speak to it. Yeah. There was a plan for all that. 
Um, might have just been budgetary. Yeah, I mean, you know? it, it may have been what yeah. was available yeah, at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. uh, because the, the history of that company, they um, had an old Seagrave rear mount, and then they had some mechanical problems. They leased a vehicle for a while, and then, I don't know, that came in at the same time as one of the, the mid-mount towers. So um, it may just have been that way. Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. It definitely seemed cool. Like, I, you know, it was unique. And it I is would, unique. It is. Um, and to get it right has to be an awesome an awesome experience. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, they're, they're all totally different animals. Yeah. Absolutely. Completely right. different trucks. And, and we could sit here for hours and go about the pros and cons. And, but I really love, I just wrote it down. Strength, not weaknesses. You know, we, we right. too often focus on the weakness yeah. and not the strengths. And I, I love that you just said that about yeah. just at the, operating the truck, you know, yeah, you know, the neat thing with the mid mount, even though like people think it, it's counterintuitive, by having the cab in front, uh, you know, and, and right at that, it's almost easier. To, I feel it's almost easier to position because you can, instead of like a rear mount where you may have to pull up and back in to get under wires, we have, uh, wires are a big problem. Even though wires are only on 50% of the size of the road, if I'm going to the fire, I can guarantee they're on 100% of the side. <laughs> yeah. You need to fire. be on. Always the case, you yeah. Know? And so the, the wires turn out to be a big problem. So, um the, the plan is um, to get the turntable as close to or underneath the wires as you can. And right. that's straight out of Tom Brennan. That's nothing yep. that I've invented. Yep. And so a lot of times it's much easier to spot that with the mid mount because you can either dive the cab in or at the last moment kick it away. The rear mount, sometimes you have to pull past them back in. So um, it does, I think the mid mount does lend itself to be actually a more flexible, adaptable piece to use. In an urban setting, especially. Right. I believe yeah. that. And, and I think, too, one thing that's, that's often overlooked, the difference between... The rear mount, especially tower ladder versus the mid mount tower ladder, is in an urban setting. You're talking about tight setbacks. You know, you don't have fifty foot setbacks. Right. You have, you know, f- three feet of grass, three foot curb, another three feet of walkway. So you're at twenty feet to the front door. Right. With it, with a mid mount, typically a mid mount is going to be a five section. Correct. And yeah. so you have a shorter bedded length. And so operationally. There's a reason why New York City puts the big guns to the sidewalk. They're not they're not stretching their big monitors off the engines. Typically, they're putting the tower ladder buckets on the ground and they're flowing water up. And so that bedded length, if they were running rear mount tower ladders, there's going to be times and positioning where they're not going to be able to get that bedded length down to the sidewalk. Right. Yeah. So functionally, for urban settings, mid bounce are a, a big player. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, typically, a shorter wheelbase rear mount is a four section aerial. Most of them are three. You know, and if it's a hundred footer, then it doesn't, it's not hard to do the math that you're looking at 35, 38 feet, you know, yep. upswing. Right. And that's hard to get. Yep. So um, they do work out well for us, the five yeah. section mid mount. Yeah. So, I mean, so why don't we dive into it? I mean, we're, we're talking trucks. So yeah. truck tactics, yeah. Instagram, Facebook. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about it. So where that came from was that, um, you know, we have four ladder companies and four shifts. So theoretically we have 16 ladder companies, right? And so um, some are better than others and they all do good work, but you would watch sometimes how maybe somebody would get a spot at this fire and, and somebody wouldn't get a spot at that fire and you try to figure it out. And so when um, you talk to guys about ladder trucks, they just want to drive them fast, toot the horn, get the roto ray going or whatever. And then, set it up and go to work magic just doesn't happen right you know and, and mm-hmm. my time with mike watching his process taught me that 
What really taught me it though was was having these two younger guys come in and trying to learn how to be a truck driver under Mike. It, it showed me really fast that you just can't run. Yeah, you know, you have to crawl and and walk and stumble a little bit, and then you can finally get up and and going. And so you really have to develop the atmosphere where it's okay to fail. And I think that's a a, a place where the fire service doesn't like to go. And what I mean by failing, I don't mean by doing damage to your vehicle, obviously, but I mean you know, um, go and set up in front of this house and see if you can shoot it between the two trees with the parked car there. Right. And then if you can't get it, let's stop and look and say, hey, maybe if you pulled up five feet this way or maybe if you kicked out the cab a little bit more that way or maybe if we came in a little bit. One of the other officers on the truck, um, a great idea, I wish I thought about it, he would just tell his guys, um, you know, take a right and set up in front of the fifth house on the left totally blind like yep. he wouldn't even know right. if he was going to get an objective that he was trying to accomplish but the randomness is great because you don't get a vote as to where the fire is going to be and what the obstacles are going right. to be right and so those i think if people can develop that kind of environment it's almost a game now right so okay we're going to turn left and i'm going to hit the fifth house on the on the right oh, i love geez. that right and yeah. so now it's and it, it, it's fun it's a little bit of competition for the guys that are trying to get checked off but um it's not canned right it's fresh and and so you just try to make things happen the neat thing about it is because there's so many unknowns, you know, it's not like you're going to the high school on Sunday morning, right, with an empty parking lot. That's right. And, and you can hit any point you want on a, on a building with no cars in the way, right? But if you say, here, okay, now this is the only place you could have parked. What can you get? You know, another thing, like uh, from Tom Brennan's Random Thoughts, great book if anybody wants to get yep. it, you know, he talks about percentages. You're not going to get it all, right? And so you want to prioritize and start with your plan A and B and C, you know, and so – Right out of fire one, what are our fire ground priorities? Life safety, incident stabilization, property conservation. So we're a very vertical vent driven fire department. But again, our priority is life, right? So if it means you can only get those two windows, then you're accomplishing that. Because right. maybe the crews are having a hard time getting in. Or maybe, you know, it's been partitioned on the inside and, and they can't get there fast. Yeah. You know, and you may now be the only person that has quick access to those windows on the second or the third floor. You know, and so there's just a lot of it, you know, and, and again, having that environment to allow people to push themselves and learn and make those mistakes is fine. You know, let the guy go in and set it up and park like we had at one time and, and he set up under a tree. And I'm like, dude, like you can't even get it <laughs> out of the cradle. It? And yeah. like, oh, he was embarrassed. Right. But it was OK because we all laughed about it. That's right. And we moved on. And now he's a great truck driver. Right. You know, and so it's it's just fun. But you have to have that environment where everybody's on the same level. There's nobody above anybody. Right. And you can just go out and have fun and see where it goes. What are the, what are the truck positions in, in Bridgeport as far as like the driver officer and the two guys riding the back step, like just for, for my own, you know, understanding of how you work, like when you go to first due to a fire. Right. So if you're first due, um, I mean, the positions are the positions. So, um, you have an irons firefighter, mm -hmm. um, that'll have the irons and, or, um, a hydro ram rabbit's hole type thing. Yeah. And then the other guy is a hook in a can. Right. And so the hook in the can uh, will be, if there's a fire and we're splitting up, the hook in the can will stay outside with the operator um, and they'll either set the rig up, go to the roof or throw ladders, whatever's needed. And then the irons firefighter will go inside with the officer. It sounds a little counterintuitive because you would think that the can would go right. inside. We just don't do it that way mm -hmm. um, because we have other companies that go in. So every fire, uh, every working fire, get four engines, two trucks, and a rescue. So, again, 32 people. There's a lot uh, of people getting thrown at it. So um, there'll be three um, three cans on the inside apart from the lines. So it does kind of work out that way. 
So, but that's those are the writing assignments. So the irons firefighter and the officer are opening up, making entry, right, and then searches. performing search. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Locate the fire and work mm-hmm. back. Gotcha. Um, and the, the rescue is doing those same things too. So, right. Um, it just depends. There is overlap, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of our fires are in two and a half and three story wood frame dwellings. So, um, but a lot of them are large. I mean, right. traditional yeah. mill type city. Right. Right, yeah. old town city, a lot of big two and a half and three right. story so wood frame homes. Some of three families, yeah. some of them are four, some of them yeah. are six. So there's a lot of doors <clears throat> and a lot of searching to do. And also, you know, sometimes you think the best way to get there may not work out. And so a lot of times we have a lot of a lot of luck with um, the company that goes in from the rear, right? Because a lot I've of seen times it, yeah. it, it just works out better that way. So um, that's that's pretty much how it works. And then if we're going to the roof. Um, the chauffeur will stay at the turntable usually, and then the 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 can firefighter is going to go to the roof with the saws, okay. and then they'll meet, um, and then go to work. Or I mean, it, and and that's the nice thing about it. We are policy driven, but the re- reality is we're also very fluid. Yeah. So if if um if that can firefighter is needed for something else, then the two drivers, because we have two trucks, the two drivers will meet on the roof, and do it that way. Not as fast, you know, and that is a problem. So it does help when at least the driver can get the other firefighter from that company to go um, because they're also on the same page. Sure. You know, they're used to each other's work tempo and everything, and and it does help out that way. It's nice to have that dedicated rescue company, which you are now. And so, I mean, Mm -hmm. rescue is inherently truck work. I mean, it's, you know, supporting trucks and, and, you know, and so on. So, yeah, it's nice to be able to have that extra company. A lot of people don't have that extra company. No, and we have five on that company. Yeah, it's nice. So it does help out. Um, so, and, and it's good. They, they play well together for the most part, you know, sometimes there's competition, sure. you know, um, but the reality anyway. is that in, in larger homes, even if it's just a, a one or two room fire, you do run out of people. It sounds odd for 32 people. Well, there's a lot yeah, of work we, to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. So. Well, I think that in Bridgeport, like the exposures, like that's the one thing that, right. I mean, if you have, uh, you know, a three story wood frame, that's like got just good fire on it. You're going to have multiple, but like it, that those people are going to be depleted pretty quickly. Right. Especially like if there's just one exposure, let alone right. three yeah, or four. I mean, four. They're, they're close together. I mean, they're not row homes, but there's usually just an alley or a, or a right. single width of a car between them. And then typically um, if they're, you know, two and a halves, then you do have the overhang of the eave and there's, you know, they've been remodeled and renovated so many times that there's multiple layers of who knows what on oh, there. Yeah you know, in the vinyl or the asphalt siding and stuff like that. So they are, you know, exposure problems definitely creep up fast. So it's something that the commanders stay ahead of and, and assign crews as needed, you know. Which drives that truck culture, right? right. That positioning is incredible, right? So you're getting four and two in the rescue on a reported fire? Yeah, the, the fourth engine is the RIT. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it works out. Three floors, three engines. Everybody makes sense. Everybody gets a floor. Yeah. yeah. Your trucks. You guys typically come in opposite direction if you can. We try, and and um, that's part of that plan in the sandbox. Yeah. Knowing your district, right. knowing it doesn't always happen. Yeah. Um, and then just sometimes with the way things are, you can sometimes you usually only get one truck. Sure. That can be dedicated anyway, and the other one you're just walking down or whatever. But by and large, yeah, if you can, you try to anticipate where they're coming from, and the way the firehouses are laid out, um, they're pretty much in a line. So it's not hard to do that, you know, because you know they're coming this way and you're coming that way. Right. So you should anticipate, you know, if, if I'm going, you know, east, I'm going to have the AB corner and then the other one's going to have the AD, mm-hmm. right? And so you just try to do it that way. Makes sense. Yeah, and it works yeah. out. Do you, I mean, I, just kind of random, but 
new officers who are getting assigned to a truck company, like what's your pet peeve for them or like there's or words of wisdom or advice for that? Like first day, it's like, hey, you got promoted and we're putting you on a, a ladder company. Like, Right. So the big thing is, A, trust your people. Mm-hmm. B, you have to get out and train because it's nice to say I trust my people, but if you don't know what they can do or as a supervisor, sometimes it's more important to know what they can't do, then it's blind trust. You know, but you have to develop that rapport and and let them be them. You know, for me, my the way I I've always looked at it, and I've had good chief officers that always kind of treated me this way. They give me a task, and I I do the task. They don't expect me to do it a certain way. They expect the result, right? And so that's the thing when you're working with a company of three other people. As long as you know what you're supposed to accomplish, let you know they may do it different from what you anticipated. Right. But as long as it's done in a timely manner and the result is generally the same, then it's OK. But you really have to go out and train. And that's where you're going to get that, that rhythm and that tempo. And that's a fantastic segue, because what you're doing outside of the firehouse is running social media pages, putting out incredible content in regards to truck work, truck tactics. I mean, you know, we hit on that before and then we kind of, you know, went off right. a little bit. But I think it's important because, you know, um, people that typically follow our content, they're on those social pages. And so if you're not following truck tactics, it's truck underscore tactics, right. correct? Um, if you're not following him, go check him out. We put a link on our page for him. Um, Nick's doing some incredible stuff. And what I what I love about your page, and we hit on it before, is the fact that the content you're putting out is not easy content to put out. It's really purposely driven. It's, it's you know, real life, situational truck advice, skills, thoughts, concepts, I think it's important. Right. So yeah, a lot of the, the material, um, you know, my guys have been the test, right? Absolutely. So they'll go out and, and that was the neat thing about having that environment. Don't be afraid to fail, right? But also know, you know, why you're doing it and know when it's okay to do that, right? So whether for good or bad, there's a lot of pictures on my page that show aerials operating near wires, and I know the manual says, say, 10 feet away. Some manuals say 20 feet away. <laughs> yeah. um, but the reality is that, um, you know, the fire gets a vote and they don't care if there's wires on that side. That's right. The public that's needing of your service, whether they're trapped or if it's their property, they really don't care if, you know, your manual says something. The reality is if you understand how things are laid out and, and really have a true understanding of the hazard, and know what you're trying to accomplish. You bring those those things together, and then from there you have the thought process that says, is this a risk that I can take, or is this a risk that we should not be taking? And, and a lot of times that's where a lot of those posts have come from. So there would be things, short jacking, for some reason is still controversial. I would not short jack on the operating side. Rear mounts can get away with it a little bit more than mid mounts. Correct. But um, like if you look at some of the work that Boston does, particularly. Unbelievable. Right, it's amazing. Ladder game is right, strong. Yeah. And so a rear mount, I call them point and shoot ladders. And I don't say that in a derogatory way, but if my, if my target is that sign and I drive right up to that sign, I almost don't have to put my outriggers out because I'm just going to do this. If you ever watch them, you know, tilt the cab at the shop, very rarely do they put the, the outriggers out. Sometimes they just put them down or they just short jack them to make the computer happy. Right. So granted, I'm not being an advocate to say, oh, short jack everywhere, but sometimes it's necessary. Right. And so. 
like parking the vehicle, there's an inside or an outside position. Inside position means you're hugging the, the curb closest to your target, right? And so we call it bracketing. If you're a parked car, I have one outrigger on this side and one outrigger on that side. I may short jack the non-operating side to let the next engine come in. Right. Not a big deal. Or if I, if I have to get away and take an outside position, now those parked cars are right against my non-operating side. Maybe I can't bracket and get my outriggers through the, you know, between the cars. That's fine. I'll short jack. And we'll do that all day, every day. And there's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's, it's, the vehicle's more than capable. All the weight is on the operating side. It's not a problem. And my thing is, is who's teaching that? And that's, where, and that's where I think the value of what you're bringing to the table. This is real world, Northeast type truck work that you're doing every single day in Bridgeport with your guys. And you're instilling the understanding to your people that you have to know the limitations of your equipment, right? You can't, you can't have a strong game until you know what you can do and can't do. How far right. you can go, how far you, and then, and then what's the breaking point? Right. Well, so, I, I just want to jump in. I think ahead. so many, so many places uh, will look at short jacking in particular, or even working by, you know, any kind of overhead line, whether right. it's cable, the telephone, or actual power. But they, they have this one worst case scenario that right. they always quote. Yeah. And that's one out of how many, like, and I, I just use Bridgeport as an example. How many thousands of times have, you set up short jacked and working your wires. Right. And like, it's always, I don't want to say it's always, but like it, it's working. Like nobody's right. even burned the truck up. Nobody's been, right. you know. So, you know, the thing too is like, don't take my word for it. Go and read your manual. Absolutely. Your manual will say 10, 10 feet and right. that's mm -hmm. cool. So, but learn with your eye what 10 feet is. That's right. Right. And, and yeah. so 10 feet isn't 30. Um, and then the other thing too is do some research into electricity. Go and, and Google utility pole wires or something and then go and read like Florida Power and Light actually has a bunch of good stuff, right? But there's this place called the Communication Worker Safety Zone. I didn't make it up. It's there. Right. 40 inches is the code <clears throat> between the lowest power line and the topmost communication line. 40 inches on the pole. Now where the wires dip out mid-span, it's all bets are off. But that's that's there. So now let's think about that for a moment. If they don't have a bucket truck and they have their van with their own ladder, right. with the hooks, right. where does that cable guy put that ladder again? Yep. Oh, he hangs it on the on wires. The, yeah, exactly. So your cable guy gets three and a half feet, right? And again, I'm not telling anybody to go get three and a half feet to their wires, but think about that for a moment. Right. Take everything in context. Cable guys are doing that five times a day, every day for a career. We're not reading and seeing in, in, in the news where cable people are getting lit up left and right. So, again, respect the hazard. Be your own risk manager and, and educate yourself and really learn what's out there. And then from there, you have to learn what your department's willing to tolerate. If they're not willing to tolerate it, that's fine. So just like some people think the cab gets in the way in a mid-mount, if your department says wires are always in the way, we can't do that, then that's fine. Just be ready if an opportunity comes where you probably could have gotten it but you didn't, and so your community might want to know some answers. Yeah. And that's okay, you know, rules of engagement. And that's a big thing. So we talked about we, we teach people what to do and how to do it. We never really get into the when and the why. So um, one of the classes that I teach, right out of the gate, I ask, do you have a, a truck policy? Do you have a ladder company policy? And usually it's 50-50, or people are like, oh, that policy is terrible. Right. I would almost rather not have a policy because it, there's really three levels. So if you have a policy, great, read it and learn it and understand it. 
Same thing with your manual. Read it, learn it, and understand it. That next level on, of understanding, you need to know what your leader's intent is, right? And so when I was on my ladder truck, we have two battalions in east and west. I would go to either. So I would have conversations with those chiefs, you know, whether formally or casually. Right. I just get an idea what they mm -hmm. expected of me as a ladder company. Regardless of what the policy said, if my chief said, I really want you to focus on this and that or this or whatever, now I know what my chief expects of me at three in the morning when fire's coming out of the second floor. I take that knowledge, couple it with my policy, and now what we've done is um, that's dynamic application, right? So I take the policy that's supposed to work on a Cape Cod, right, or a factory, yep. right? Because we don't have ladder policies for every different occupancy. Right. Right. Yeah. I, now I understand what my chief wants. Now I have this thing I call it dynamic application. Right. It's, so now that we have this mission driven culture, right, it sounds corny, but the reality is this. Now I really know what my chief expects from me, what my policies allow and how my truck works. You take all those three things and you put them together and holy cow, you're a formidable force yeah. to be reckoned with. Right. So I, it's not that hard. Right. And that's a lot of information that you can really get, especially if you you're in a fire department that doesn't have a strong ladder culture or whatever. You can read your own manual. You can read your own policy. You can talk to your own chief. Right. And you can really get a lot of answers pretty quickly as to what the bounds are for your on how you're, you're going to be able to operate. You know, and that's served me pretty well thus far anyway. It's well said. And so, I think, you know, that yeah. that type of um, thinking and understanding is not commonplace. I don't think it is. Right. I think I think where you're coming from in this background, and that's why I'm excited to get to get you out there to get your page out there because the the content you're putting out is very much structured and organized, just like you said. And I think so many people don't really or can't take what you just said and put it into such eloquent words like you just did and formulate a plan. And so we shoot off the hip too often, right? And I think in, in the truck world, um, with the amount of responsibility and jobs at hand and so many variables, I mean, this it's ever evolving, ever changing. Every single time you that, that truck turns a wheel, it's something different. Right. So check it out, mm -hmm. right? Talk to me. So if, if there are so many different variables, so many different contingencies, so many different expectations, it's impossible for a firefighter, an employee, whomever, to be successful. Absolutely. Right? right. It's hard. And so some people say, oh, they were thinking outside of the box. I, I'm not saying outside of the box is a terrible term, but I hate it because to me, it sounds like they're winging it. Right. And so get back to those things, leaders, intent, mission, mm -hmm. culture. If I know what I'm supposed to do, very rarely does it go from A to B to C. Right. There's always a problem. There's always an obstacle. Right. Fire gets a boat and all that other stuff. But if I know what my expectation is, right, then I know and I'm trusted. I know how I can make modifications to what I'm trying to do to achieve the same result. That's not outside of the box thinking. Correct. That's st actually staying very within the box. Right. Because some people say, oh, you're freelancing. I'm not freelancing. You asked me to do this, and that's what I'm going to do. I can't do it the way we normally do it, but I'm going to do it the way that fits this situation. And I, I really do think, I'm hoping, that the fire service is going to get away from this check-the-box um, formal you know, way to go about things and really hopefully morph more into this understanding that, you know, you can't box people. How do we get back to that though? Yeah, because gonna, that was going to be my next question. Is how do when we you get came away on in 99 and a volunteer before that, <clears throat> right? there wasn't so much checking boxes. Right. Now it's a check the box society. So how do yeah. we in the fire service try to bring it back around? Well, well so this is my hope that um, I think what we've done and, and, and we may be because we're not, um, investing in education for our leaders where there's not a lot of career development going on either in the, in the paid or the, or the volunteer side. We've got to come back to that. I think what happens is that um, 
we take the person who has the most classes. And so they're, they're used to, to IFSTA, IFSAC, pro board, whatever. Yep, right. Right. And that's all very check the box oriented. Without a doubt. And so if that's what they've been brought up in, then that's what they know. And then, so that's what they send out. And I think that's the part that's missing. I, I also think that in that checkbox mm-hmm. and that, uh, part of the problem is like, they're looking like, uh, the non, the, the politically uh, incorrect way of, of doing things is no longer allowable. So, like some good, some bad, but like where they look at those check boxes are a um, a measurable item, right? And, and I think they get really caught up into that. Where they do because you know what, fire departments across the board are either underfunded or everybody's just way too busy to really put too much time into it. Mm-hmm. And so what you have to do is you have to figure out the way to maximize the time of your people, right? And so if your answer is to be lazy and not train your folks, but put out a phone book thick policy, you're setting your people up for failure. Without a doubt. Because again, if you if you look at any pre-arrival fire picture, like I like to put pictures up that, you know, the fire's five houses down the street, and all you can see is smoke coming up between the trees. In about 800 feet, you're supposed to, in a very quick time, take your ladder company policy and make magic happen. <laughs> Right. And you, you haven't even had a chance. You may have had three minutes to know that you're going to a fire. Right. But, you know, even approaching the block, you don't know what you have yet. But yet we're, we're expecting our people to do great things with very little information and then couple that with poor training or no training and then a policy that's overwhelming. It's, it's just not going to happen. And so my hope is that we move away from that. Yeah, we need we need more senior guys. The the wheel man on your ladder five is what we need. Oh, absolutely. I mean that oh, yeah. that makes the fire service work and yeah. unfortunately though we're losing those guys and we're losing them quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um and you know what? He didn't wake up and say I'm going to be the senior man. No, right. right? Mm-hmm. We we were lucky that he, you know, spent his career a certain way and 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 built to that, right? And and it's hard just to be you know, just because you have the time doesn't mean you're the senior man. And so it's it's those intangibles. And yeah, we are losing it. But I'll, I'll say this too. Um, just like looking at that mid-mount as the cab is the obstacle, we shouldn't look at that as the obstacle. We, we, we need to figure out ways to find the better parts of folks. And so here, here's the thing too. I love that. Like, yeah. um, I used to have a chief and he's since retired. Um, not the most firematically astute, right? Um pretty coarse in the firehouses, but he backed his people, right? And so I took that from him. I knew, you know, he may not know what he's doing on the fire ground, but I always knew if I did my thing and it didn't go right, he would still back me, right? And so there's value in that. Without so, a doubt. Right? And so you may not have the ideal senior man, and and they are it's a unicorn, I guess, right? But that doesn't mean that you have to be negative about it. Find the nuggets out of the people that you have right strengths yeah not weaknesses strengths. you know and and so like this whole mentor thing people say you need a mentor you need three mentors right everybody always knows you need the mentor that's going to help you keep your eye on the prize right the person that's five or eight or ten years ahead of you or a rank ahead of you right that's the easy one but you have to have that mentor of the person that's next to you so if it's me as a captain i should probably find a young captain that i can identify with and see that i'm at least keeping pace with that person and it's not a competition but at the same time right i don't want to fall behind and i want oh they're doing great things. Let me try some of that. Just like I said, that that other officer that said, hey, fifth house down on the left. That's a great idea. I wish I thought of that. I'm yep. not jealous, but I'm going to use it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing, too, is what I don't think people really do, look behind you because you're going to be irrelevant pretty soon, right? And so there's young people coming <laughs> up, right, that are really good. 
and and they may know how to like they don't know what the Rand McNally is, but I guarantee they know how to do other things that I could never even fathom, right? With that, yeah. And so, yep, that's going to help 100%. older folks like myself stay young, right? Because I'm watching how they're coming up and what they're doing and and how they adapt and and what I think is so important. They don't have value in because they found another way. I found other ways. I've discarded things that the old timers told me. So why can't they do that? Right. Right. So it's, it's really that those three levels. So hopefully that's, if you don't have that senior guy, hopefully you can kind of do it that way too. I was going to uh, <laughs> go back to the senior guy. One, one thing that it, it, it uh, popped in my head as you were talking about that. I feel like in some departments they're pushing education to a point where it's almost getting the, like that, that, um, I'm forgetting what is what the senior guy's name is. I wrote it down. Mike Candela. Mike. Yeah. So Mike, I feel like in today's world, if, if Mike stepped into the fire service, there might be, and not necessarily in Bridgeport, but in other areas of the country, there, there's going to be somebody that's going to be pushing him to become an officer. And that the only sense of, uh, I don't want to say promotion, but like even like they're going right. to gear him up to promotion because right. he's like, you got to get an education. You got to take this lieutenant right. test. You got to take this captain's test. Yeah. We want you to do this. And there's, it kind of goes back to like college education and a push of college education, education's good, but there still needs to be somebody to come fix my furnace. And right. that's not going to be the guy from Harvard. Yeah. Necessarily. So we wrestle with this all the time, right? And so here's the reality. Um, I'm not sure specifically what our budget is, but it's a $25, $30 million corporation, whether we want to look at it that way or not. Yeah. Can, and you're just off the street firefighter that has a fire one, fire two, adequately and confidently run a $25, $30 million corporation. They can't. Right. The fire service has done a very <coughs> poor job of doing really good career development mm -hmm. um, on both, you know, paid and volunteer. And, you know, we've gotten into this lazy checkbox thing. Yeah. Some places you don't even take, go and take a class, you play a video, right? And somehow you're supposed to get like, I mean, it's, <laughs> it just escapes me. Yep. Yeah. Right? So... We have to find a way, and hopefully like the I-Chiefs and the IFF and, and the Volunteer Fire Councils and all that are, are really going to kind of pay attention to that stuff because we do have to run our corporations, but not everybody has to, right? But at the same time, you know, we need people that can, you know, that know how to, you know, fix somebody's leaky pipe or right. know the difference between a, a hydraulic leak and a transmission leak on a fire apparatus. And yeah, I mean, it's still a blue collar craft, right? And the other thing too is fire loads are down across the board, but the hazards are still there. Yeah. And we still have two and a half and three woods. The mid Atlantic uh, towns and cities all have row homes. They're still there. They may not burn as frequently as they do, but we still need people that can do that. Right. And so striking the balance, it's hard. We've talked about it. It's a dangerous job. Yeah. It's not going to go away. Um, I think too, I, I, I made a note real quick, just talking about, um, you know, and you just brought it up again too, career oriented and officer training. Too often we set our own people up for failure. We're not supporting them. We don't give them the tools they need to progress up the line. Right. Eat the young. Eat the young. That's a whole problem too. It's another whole thing. Let's talk about this because these are these are things that are affecting everybody that's watching and listening to our program is dealing with these issues. Yeah. Well, Eat the young if you're like speaking specifically to like the hazing and things like that or um, just having them expect to know what needs to be done and not nurturing them. Yeah, I think that's where I was okay. going with because right. I, I was very much thrown into the lieutenant's position of like, here are your keys, don't don't fuck up, good luck. Right. 
And yeah. it was like, yeah. hey. Oh, I like, wear a different color uh, shirt now. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. then, like, all the bleach poisoning jokes came out. So it was like, all right, cool. Um, but there's, yeah. I have a list on my computer, uh, Lieutenant Ridley's list of shit he doesn't know. Right. And every shift, I'm adding something on that list, and right. I'm trying to find the answer because yeah. it's this dynamic of, like, how, like, like it, it hit me the other day, like, when the toilet breaks on a holiday weekend in the, in the firehouse in the Fairview Fire District, right. who do I call when the chief is away? Like, right. who is that? who's the plumber that the district uses to fix that problem? We yeah. need the toilet fixed, you know? Right. Like, and it's stupid stuff like that versus yeah. the personnel issues versus just, you know. Yeah, we don't do a good job of that. Really, very few departments do. Um, so, so the important thing is, if you are forced into a, a an early promotion, even if you purposely did it, took a test, and holy cow, I made it, right? You, it, I really do believe it's it's that mentor thing, right? You really have mm -hmm. to find people that are two, three, five, eight years ahead of you that you can trust, and and, and find out, or you know, the guy that's the same as you, you know. So, like, I'm a larger department, so when we promote you know, promote a few at a time. So it's easier. I, you know, if Jeremy and I get promoted, I say, dude, yeah, like, for real, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Memorial day. Nobody's around the toilets busted. What do I do? I mean, firemen are going to fix it generally. Right? right. But what's the process. And if your department doesn't have, you know, that strong infrastructure, which most don't, you know, um, and I just use that one as the, yeah, example, I mean, the reality but, you is know. you do the best you can. And yeah. then if, if you do it wrong, you have to be humble enough to take your lump and move on and don't take it personal, right? And that's that's the hard part. So um, nobody likes to be told that they did it wrong, especially if you didn't have any support. But the reality is that you did the best you could, you tried, right? And if it didn't work, it didn't work. Learn not to do it that way again. You know, it's, it's just like when you go to a fire and like, okay, what do I do first? Well, you have to do something even if it's wrong. Because then you, that's, that's how you see how the fire reacts. And then you realize, oh, wow, that's not the way to do it. We really needed to do this. Let's do this now. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's hard. I mean, um, money's tight. Not a lot of departments train very well. You know, it's, it's difficult. I think, I think too, it, um, I can just speak from the volunteer end for a minute. You know, when we put people in these, into these positions and we don't give them the right tools or tutelage to make them uh, confident in their decision-making up front, right? And I'm not just, it, you know, firematically, but also just socially people management, right? Being able to work with people. We talked about before, people want to avoid conflict, right? Right. So it's it's issues like that. And then what happens is, is when, and what drives me nuts is when we instill the power and authority into somebody to make a decision. They make that decision based upon what they know, not what we taught mm -hmm. because we didn't teach. Yeah. And then we penalize them for the decision they make. Well, part of the problem with the fire service is hyper analysis. Right. Right. Because, I love, yeah, talk about that. Because it's, we've been doing the same thing for whatever, 100 years, the fire department, and you're just the person in that role for the next two years. Right. And so the funny <laughs> thing is that everybody else knows that. So why is this, this super expectation that you're going to do everything right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And so as long as you're, you're you know, a little bit of humility about yourself and you're not going crazy like you're the newest dictator. But if you're trying, as long as you're trying, like company-wise, more than likely it's no big deal and we'll, right. we'll adjust, fix whatever, right? And everybody's already done that mistake, you know? So that's the problem with, with me with the fire service is like, you know, I remember like in, in Verplank, I love the place, but um, small town, 
just a handful of families ran that thing, right? And so um, if you did things different from the way the guy did it last year, oh, forget it. you know, maybe you had a great reason for it, but maybe they had a great reason why they had done it that way for the last 60 years, right? But then why do they put you in that spot, you know? And so it's a give and take. It's hard. Without a doubt. There's, we're not going to come up with an answer here, yeah. but, but I think it just goes to the, you know, the, the orientation that's needed to instill, I don't know, the, the, the confidence in people, right? I mean, I always talk about initiative because the fire service is inherently, is all about initiative. You know, firefighting, as much as we want to teach, it's a partner-driven job on the fire ground. You're searching by yourself. You're going to the roof by yourself. You're in the rear by yourself. It's an initiative. Yeah. You have to take initiative. Right. How do we instill initiative? Through proper training, through proper channels, through that conversation where the senior man takes the guy downstairs after dinner to talk to him about it when it's one-on-one. Right. Those are those things that can teach that initiative so that we're producing good firefighters. Right. So I don't want to disappoint my parents. I, I think by growing up with them, I understand what they expect from me. I've had conversations with them. When I got into the fire service, I didn't want to disappoint those other people. In the beginning, it was hard to talk to them. But once I kind of figured out that I better talk to them, regardless of what the policy said or regardless of what I thought the department wanted, once you talk to people, that's when you understand your expectation, right? right. Policies are cold. Even though you read it now, I understand. if it, And if they're clearly written, you know exactly what you're supposed to do. But again, if, if you can't bring that policy alive and really understand what it means, then it doesn't mean anything. Right. And so I think that's a big part of it is, is having those conversations and talking to people and, and breaking it down that way. Yeah. So that'll help. No doubt. So, I mean, we're hitting on some heavy stuff here. I mean, we're outside of the training pages that you run on social. Right. I mean, it's a truck culture that you live. I mean, you know, rescue captain as well. I mean, maybe you could talk about some, you know, some of your stories down at the rescue. Bring it back firefighting a little bit out of the administrative and back to the on the street having fun with your, you know, a five-man company in a city like Bridgeport. You're having some fun. Right, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and the neat thing about that company or, or really being on the, the trucks as well is that you're going to stuff. Maybe not at the frequency that they were going 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, but you're still going. Yeah. Right, and so it's neat when you finally do get those fires, you know, that's how you learn. And you're doing things based on your riding assignment and the expectations of the people around you and what you hear on the radio and all these other things. But again, the fire gets a vote, the construction gets a vote, right? And so you think you're doing something and you're like, I'm doing it, man. And next thing you know, whoa, wait a minute, we're not doing it, hold yeah. on. And I have to make an adjustment or change or whatever. Um, you know, and it's it's just fun. You know, when you're crawling down that hallway and and you know you see something and, and next thing you know, you hear your partner laughing, even though, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just funny. I mean, just the things that we do, it's like, it's just, it's just, yeah, it can be very entertaining, you know, even though you're trying your best to do the right thing, you know. Right. I mean, I've been to fires where um, I'm, I'm thinking I'm tip of the spear, first one in, and I'm searching around. And I'm like, hey, fire department, yo, you know, and searching around. And I hear somebody singing. I'm like, whoa, what's going on, you know? And it was somebody from the other truck who came in from the other side, you know, and he's just singing because that's what he does. That's how he regulates his breathing consumption, right? I would never do that, and I think it's dumb. <laughs> that's fantastic. Right? But he's that. singing Grateful Dead songs. And I'm like, dude, really? And he's like, ah, oh, whatever, bro. And he's, it, and he's, it works. Yeah, and he's still doing it. He's still going. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. That's, that's wild. Yeah, you know, that's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, you can tell you still, you have a lot of excitement still in your voice and you have a passion for what you're doing. 
And I think, you know, the content that you're putting out and the trying to relate, you know, getting the message out about the importance of truck work and the importance of firefighting, right, and, and digesting. I mean, sitting here tonight with you, we've been, we're an hour in already. It goes really quick. And uh, yeah. just the, the fun of, of sitting here and listening to you, I mean, very articulate, well-spoken. And I, I can't thank you enough for being here and sharing these stories with us. And I, I just want to keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to it now, I mean, you know, you, you is Bridgeport a younger department? Are you, it's are you about seeing a turnover? To be, it's about to be very young. Okay. Um, I don't know specifically the numbers, but next month we're going to have over 90 people that are eligible for retirement. We have about 288 on the job. So wow. that's roughly a third of our jobs yes. eligible for retirement. Um, we just gave an exam. They're going to hire for the fall academy. Um, do you do your own in-house academy? No, we go to the state, the okay. Connecticut Fire Academy. And it wouldn't surprise me if we hired anywhere between 60 and 100 on the, off of this exam in the next two years. So with the Did department, you have the exam already? Or? Yeah, they did. They okay. just had it yeah. like a week ago. Um, take it. Fail. Oh, boy. Yep. Sebi. You could have filled it out in your car. Yeah, right. Use your Hagstrom. Use your Hagstrom. <laughs> yeah. That's, fill, that's fill right. It up that was the problem. Line. I didn't know how to get there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so <clears> theoretically, <throat> if, if we hire upwards of 100, we're looking at replacing a third of the job, you yeah. know. So, you know, the big thing that I, I talk to guys about is there's a difference between being unsafe and being uncomfortable, right? And, and so, like, when you ask people about life safety, incident stabilization, property conservation, and you ask them, I, it's almost like setting the hook, which who comes first, the fireman or the public? Oh, the fireman, fireman, fireman. I'm like, well, I disagree. And, you know, and I say, I think that the public comes first, and there's a reason. And, and usually, you know, I, I say, I'm going to explain my way. I think we're going to get to the same place. We're just going to get to it differently, you know? But, but it's true with our IFSAC and ProBar and all this, you know, checking the boxes. We're, we're trained to a high level, but we're also enshrouded in a ton of safety. Yeah. There's already a ton of safety inherent in, in, in the way we've been taught how to do our job, right? Yes, the fire gets a vote and the construction gets a vote. I get that. But you try to couple all those things together. So with all these new people, clearly they're not going to be as productive on the fire ground as, as my guy Mike Candela, right? Uh, but at the same time, we can't scare them. Right. And, and they need to understand based on your experience and the situations that you have going on and how you interpret them. Right. There's a difference between being unsafe and being uncomfortable. Right. And you can be absolutely uncomfortable crawling in the dark and it's hot. But that doesn't mean that you're unsafe. Right. If everybody else is doing their job, or at least it sounds like it from the radio or you hear the saws running on the roof. Yeah. In time, conditions are going to get better. Right. Right. Um, and so it's just paying attention. But, but again, it's, it's creating that culture of, of people not being afraid to think and not being afraid to ask questions and, and, and try, right? And, and, and be, it's okay to fail in training. It's okay to make those mistakes and learn. But again, when you're finally doing that job, there's absolutely a difference between being unsafe and being uncomfortable. Operating on the floor above the fire is the most unsafe Un place on the fire ground, yeah. right? But it doesn't mean that it's unsafe in the, in, the, in the sense that we can't go there, right? It's uncomfortable for sure. So. We have an expectation of doing work. And, right. you know, for me, though, fires are down. Take it to a volunteer level, right? I mean, even in the city of Bridgeport, fires are down compared to where they were 5, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. How do we instill that? I mean, we, we, have, these, we have these kids that are, that are coming online, and we, we put them, and we expect them to be in uncomfortable positions. Right. And how do we push that? How do we drive that and let them know that that's okay, that where you are, it's okay? Right. So training, but yeah, but it's training, but you have to, they have to have repetitions in order to understand, yeah. you know, and, and the, the burn buildings are a bit of a disservice because they get hot, but they're great visibility yep. and with very little bit, 
little bit about of water, you can mm-hmm. knock down your pallets and your hay bale, right? So there's a false sense, I think, with that. But the reality is it's everything else. You have to invest in your people, right? The city's already paid a ton of money to put them through the process, to train them, to put uniforms on them, turn out gear and all that. But we have to invest in, in socially and in mentoring and, and, you know, talking about tailboard talks and things like that and in the kitchen. You know, you look in the, in the kitchen and, and I have my, you know, a senior guy will always send me a picture and there'll be eight or ten guys at the table and it's, they're on their phones, but they're, you know, and when I came on, okay, so I'm old. I don't even think pagers were out yet, right? Yeah. So we still all talk to each other, right? And, and we have to figure out ways to be in a positive way, explain to, to newer people that we really do need to talk and, and it's okay to talk and, and we can disagree and all that. But that's how people learn and grow. You know, you're not going to learn and grow from a YouTube video, even though that's what everybody says, sit at the watch and watch YouTube videos. Right. And then go out and do it and make magic happen. Right. You have to let these people grow and, and try and, and it's okay to, to do things wrong. I still do things wrong. I do a lot of things wrong. I'm sure you guys do too. Every day. Right. And, but we're not new. Right. So what's our excuse? Right. We don't have one. Right. But it's okay. It's, it's the natural part of it. There's no 100%. Right. It's all. I love that you recognize that. Right. Because I mean, what you're doing is helping to hit where the attention is. If, if you take a picture of your table and everybody's sitting around looking at their phones, I know for a fact that you can engage them. It takes somebody to engage them and the phones will go down or you tell them, Hey, look at my truck tactics this week. Look at, go to the third picture on well, the I right. Would never, I, I wouldn't do no, that, but yeah. But I, I you know, know what, what I'm saying, saying though, right? Yeah. Because here's the deal. You bring it up, you look at it. Everybody has their phones anyway. Then you say, all right, guys, put them down. Let's talk about that post for 20 minutes. Right. Let's look at this. Let's start getting that banter going back and forth. It takes engagement. So often we're not engaging anymore. Well, you know, the thing too is like, just because you went on a medical call, even if it's just your ambulance, right? doesn't mean that you can't turn it into a fire call. So... I don't work on the engines much, but if I get you an overtime on an engine, we'll come out and I'll say, okay. So that woman was on the bedroom in the back corner on the third floor. If you had to stretch from where we're parked right now, how much hose would you need? How many lengths? How would you lay it out, right? Um, Which one would you pull? Which pre-connect would you pull? Or what if we parked where we're supposed to and not in front of the house? You know, what if if we parked down there, right? And, And, you know, I say, look, you may not go to a fire for another five months, but you should have done your stretches in your head at least 50 or 60 or 80 or 100 times before that. So at 3 in the morning, when everything's going crazy and you're all amped up, and the thing, too, is like, you know, we're an aggressive fire department, so the engine uh, guys are doing their engine thing, but the trucks and the squads are, are running or moving with a purpose with their irons and their hooks and stuff right into the building. And the newer folks that are on the engines see that, and they think, well, I must, I need to step it up. Right. No. You need to slow down, right? Because the more deliberate your stretch is, the better you flake out your line, you take the appropriate line, you put it in the right place, the faster it'll go once it's charged, right? And that's the disconnect. But you have to have that conversation with with your new people, right? And, and explain that, you know? Like profiling, I don't mean survivability profiling, but, but you're at the deli getting a sandwich. Okay, you come out, look at that building, where are the bedrooms? Well, what do you mean? Well, look, right. you've been in a three wood before. I've never been in that one. Right. Well, that's okay. Let's try to figure it out. Okay. So usually the AB corner is the living room. And then the next room down is the dining room. And then behind that's the kitchen. And then off there's a hallway to the left. And there's a bedroom in the back. And then the bathroom. And then a bedroom in the front. You've never even been there. Right. But if you had to do a search right now, you'd have a pretty good idea on how to get to the 
bedrooms. Not too bad. Yep. And we didn't go to a fire to do that. Right. right? So just keep them engaged. We were, last week, we were down at uh, Ridgeway Leather with Rob. And um, Rob's a great guy. And we were talking about, I don't even think it made it to the podcast, but we were talking about his department where they do, like, smoke alarms, smoke detector batteries, things like that, right? Service calls. You know, where they get out and they they meet the public and so on. And... There's a lot of back and forth between different departments that do these type of calls. A lot of guys don't want to do them. Other guys see the value in them, right? The value is this. I mean, like you said on those EMS calls, when you catch an overtime spot on the engine, turn it into something. Right. You know, when you're going into Mrs. Smith's home, you're going to learn about her. You're going to learn about the home. You're going to learn about that garden apartment. You're going to learn how far back her apartment is on that sidewalk stretch in that garden apartment complex. Like. All these things, and I think those are just important things, but that only happens when the right guy is there to make that engagement happen. Right. And, but you know what, though, too? I'll put it back on, on the new person. Like, even on the truck. When I was on the truck, we'd go to a medical. We'd come out, and we'd say, okay, hey, new guy, if we park right here, could we get that window? Well, I don't know. Well, let's talk about it. Where's the turntable? Where's this? Where's that? Right? So it's just like the new guy should say, hey, Lou, hey, Cap, hey, senior man, we had to get that window where would we park because this is a tough street you know or during the day there's nobody parked here now it's double wide you know and we're, we're in the middle of the road i don't know if we get under those wires yep you know and then geez maybe holy cow let's set it up yeah right like total psh, yeah, yeah. Right? what I mean, what you, we yeah. can do that you, yeah <laughs> you know and that's what i say like you go to a fire alarm or anything park that truck like you mean it park it like at least position it to where you would put it if it was really on fire and then if your department in your town is willing to tolerate it put the outriggers out and down put the aerial up go ahead fire alarm comes in they're expecting you to do fire stuff and they that's don't right. they don't even know what it's supposed to look like right but if you actually do it i'm not saying set up on your busy street on the busiest time of day but, you know, your side road, <laughs> nobody's coming. And if they are, they can go around. And I love, though, creating that environment where you can entice those younger members, those probationary members, or those, you know, one, two, three-year members to be able to speak up and say, hey, what would we do here? Right. I don't know. Right. You and know? The other thing that goes with that, too, <clears throat> is that now you're out of the firehouse, right? So, like, the firehouse that I'm in, there's a lot of people in there. There's 16 people in that firehouse. Yeah. People don't like to talk. Because they're going to expose themselves, yeah, right. even if they know what they're talking about, right? right? So now you're out just with your company, your confidence is up, and it's it's much more of an intimate setting, right? So now maybe your senior man or maybe your aspiring senior man suddenly feels it's okay to talk in this environment, right? And so there's an important there, you know, it's, it's just as good. Just because you can't get it to happen at the kitchen table when everybody's there, especially at shift change when everybody's going at each other, that's right. a tough environment. But you know, it's okay at a call when it's just the four of you. So the five of you, go yep. ahead and, and have that conversation, right? Love that. So. Good. All right, here we go. So, Nick, we're back at it, man. We took a quick break, but we're back at it. And, um, you know, we were just going over a couple things. And I one, thank you for sharing your story here. But your story, your story doesn't just end with the truck work and end with the firefighting aspect. There's so much more to the job. And so, you know, we were talking about some safety initiatives, things that you've gotten involved with also during your tenure with Bridgeport. Yeah. You know, the big thing is you have to be involved. You have to be engaged. You know, you can't just complain about things. Uh, you have to try to make change. Plant your flag on something, even if it's just one thing. And if it takes you your whole career or your whole time in your volunteer service, whatever it is I love that. to affect change to one thing, then that's really what you should do. You're not going to, you know, move mountains, right? And let somebody else work on those other things, but find something that's important to you that if it's really bothering you, whether it's a policy or a piece of equipment or maybe an improvement that is long overdue, be that person to affect that change. Work your normal channels. If, if that works, great, you've done it. Now move on to something else. Yeah. If your normal channels don't work, 
the first obstacle you reach doesn't mean that you should stop, right? There's grant money out there. There's other resources. Reach out to your community. You know, whatever there is, talk to other departments. Find out how they may be doing things in other ways that you haven't thought about. You know, it's important to, to leave your mark to some degree to give back, um, to be engaged. If people see you doing things and, and making change, instead of complaining about that, maybe it might inspire them to pick up their own little, you know, torch and move on with that. You know, so I think that's a big thing that people need to realize. I think people need to realize, too, that you can't give up. Right. You know, you, you use the word obstacle, and that's all it is, right? It's a hurdle. It's an obstacle. It's just something that's slowing down your forward progression, but it doesn't mean you have to stop. Right. You know, when too often, I mean, I just, I see it all the time in my professional life at the firehouse and with my, with my kids, it gets tough. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm just not going to do it anymore. Right. I'm not going to, you know, and, yeah. and that is so hard to digest yeah. for me. You know, the thing too is I think people need to realize, and particularly on our social media days where everybody sees that everybody else has it so good. Right. They're better looking than them. They oh. have better cars and all this other stuff. But the reality is that it's all superficial. Right. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are, are pretty inspirational in the fire service that are just plugging along on their own. Adam Mayers is one of them. If you look uh, at him, he works in Casper, Wyoming, and, and he's got this whole engine zero thing going. Gary Lane's another one. Um, you know, Ron Burgess with Rit Ops, if you check him out on Instagram. Yep. There's just a lot of people out there doing things on their own. Um, but what it, what it really comes down to is there's no value in the result. There may be, you may think that that is, but the struggle is really where you get your reward, right? Because, you know, you get your, your ups and downs and, and, and you're going to learn things through that process. And so that's really where the value is. And that's really why you should do those things. You shouldn't do those things just because of that final result that you want, but you're going to learn so much as you progress through and, and you're just going to be exposed to different things. You're going to meet new people and, and learn new ways and stuff like that. So just because you don't get that ultimate goal that you were reaching for, I guarantee that through that process, you're going to grow so much. We're going to learn so much more and, and you're just going to be a better person for it. I, li right? I love so. that you're talking about this because I am a process guy. I love the process. I love the struggle. Right. I love the, I love the shape craft and, and build and it's funny because I have this ongoing joke with my wife. She calls me an 80 percenter. I get 80 percent there. Yeah. And then I start something new. Right. And it's I yeah. think from me getting to know myself in 42 years, it's because once I hit that goal, then what? The process is over. Like, yeah. I, I have a hard time with that. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and so that's cool. I'm, yeah. That's really cool, man. Like, I. That's, that's awesome that you believe in that because I think that has to be discussed more. I think people have to understand that in order to get to that goal. I mean, I have goals. I have, I have a goal in life that I never want to wear shoes again or have to wear shoes. I tell my wife, my goal is, uh, you know, flip flops and fishing. Hell yeah. That's, that's my, my, you know, and a beer. Uh, without it, uh, yeah, which you know, that's a whole other story um, tonight. Whether I get there or not, I don't know. But man, I'm trying. That's it, and you that's know. the goal. But yeah. I love this ride I'm taking. Yeah, absolutely. And that's love this about. process. Yeah, and I think yeah. more people need to enjoy the process and understand that the process has a lot of ups, but horrific downs too. Sure, right. You got to be able to pick yourself back up yeah. and keep pushing. Yeah, but we, you know, I think you know, I'll speak for myself. I'm a negative reinforcement learner. If I do things and everything goes right, I just I didn't learn anything, but I just figured that that's the way it's supposed to go. Right. But if I do something and I screw it up, I realize what I did wrong. And then I, from that, I know actually how to do it right, you know? And so, um, you know, this false sense of perfection or, or that everybody else has it easy is, is just not reality. Yeah. You know, so. Well, that's a good way to yeah. put it. 
And and in Bridgeport, um, you know, we've we've been talking on it, and I, I kind of just want to wrap on on your career and and what you've done. But I mean, you have an impeccable career, and in, in your spoken very highly of by a lot of your fellow firefighters officers and in the chief of the department who who uh who is a good friend of ours as well and having you here tonight is really for us just a really awesome thing so i, I thank you the opportunity for being here i yeah. mean we could go on and on and i'd love to and i hope we can reconvene there's some projects i think that we could work on together i think would be great and we've kind of sure yeah absolutely scratch the surface on some of that but um you know, thank you. Thanks for being yeah. here tonight, taking the time out to come and, and share your message. I think the content that we put out tonight with you and talking about truck culture and just really well done. So thank you, Captain. Cool. Well, I, I appreciate, appreciate it, man. It. Yeah. Really yeah, awesome. Fun. And so real quick, I mean, plugs, man. Plug away. So you got um, your, your, your social media pages, your training? Yeah, so um, I kind of in the back of truck floor training on Facebook, more of a moderator. I don't mm -hmm. really get involved with that too much. The truck tactics on Instagram. It's also on on Facebook. Yep. Um, I do teach out. Um, if you want, you can reach me through the truck tactics, and we can come out and visit and do a truck class or whatever. That'd be great. Um, you know, I'm going to be at the Making the Stretch uh, conference in the fall. Uh, check that out. It's in Harrisburg in October, and then we've got some other things coming up too, but they're not solidified yet. So we'll see how it goes. But um, you know, any questions, feel free to reach out. I love it. I'd be more than happy to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. No, thank you. I appreciate you fun. for uh, joining us. This has been a really good one. Yeah. Taking yeah. away a lot of a lot of good nuggets from this one. Great. Rob's got notes. like three pages over here. Yeah. Rob's a big note taker. Nice. I like so, it. Excellent. Absolutely. Yeah, great. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for checking us out. Another episode of National Fire Radio with Captain Nick Esposito out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Captain Boss or Rescue Boss. Jeez. Tripping over it's my Captain words. Boss, Captain Boss. I mean, that just sounds official. The boss but, Captain. Uh, yeah, right. Anyway, guys, thanks for checking us out. For Rob, Jeremy, and the rest of the crew, Nick, thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. Have a good night. Yeah, very good. Cool. All right. Excellent. Good? Yeah, man. Yeah, good thank stuff. You so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. It was fun. I, I, awesome. I have to tell you, like, really, really well done, sir. Cool. I appreciate um, it. Your message is going to be received loud and clear.